What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, an historic collaboration from corporate America, Business Roundtable Chairman and Walmart CEO Doug McMillan. What we see is a moment here, a moment where we can make a bigger difference. As the nation fights for racial equality and justice. We need to listen to a diverse group of people. We need to make sure that we're hearing them and that we're finding creative ways to drive change. And Chief Investment and Impact Officer at star-studded nonprofit Blue Meridian takes executives to task on unshackling the potential of every American. I ask CEOs, if you are serious about this, how many of your government relations people, how many of your lobbyists are focused on these kinds of issues? It's Friday, June 5th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And we're going to start. This week, many top executives have said corporations need to do more to combat racial inequality in various forms. As a result, the Business Roundtable is announcing the creation of a special committee to take on just that issue through education, healthcare, finance, and criminal justice solutions. If you don't already know, the Business Roundtable is an association of CEOs from leading U.S. companies working together on policy. The BRT represents some 15 million employees. To name just a few of the CEOs on BRT's new committee, Mary Barra, Chairman and CEO of General Motors. Ernie Sorensen, President and CEO of Marriott International, Randall Stevenson, Chairman and CEO of AT&T, and Alex Gorski of Johnson & Johnson. The last three were on recent episodes of Squawk Pod just this week, and I encourage you to check our podcast feed to hear from those leaders. Today on Squawk Box, we heard from Business Roundtable Chairman Doug McMillan, CEO of Walmart. Here's Becky. Let's talk, first of all, about what the Business Roundtable is doing. Um, This is a big move. We've heard kind of hints at this from several of the people, the guests that we've spoken with this week. But but tell us what this undertaking includes. Yeah, we've been working together over the last few days to formulate a plan. And what we see is a moment here, a moment where we can make a bigger difference. And as you would know, and many of our viewers today would know, these companies represented in the BRT are all working every day and have been probably through the history of their company, certainly in in recent times, to make a difference as it relates to diversity and inclusion and do good work within their companies. That continues, needs to accelerate, and we can talk more about that if you want to. But there's this moment here where the country is experiencing horrendous pain as a result of what happened with George Floyd's uh, murder and all of us seeing that on TV. But we all know that that was just one isolated event of many. This isn't about just one tragic event. It's about what's happened in our country for for a long, long time and what's happening today. So the question is, how could we work together to make a lasting change happen? How should we go about it? Where can we make a difference? And conceptually, the idea is there's there's a Venn diagram with an overlap in it, and our companies touch systems in the country, complex systems that result in collectively inequities. 
And those systems that we've identified are the financial system, the education system, the health care system, and the criminal justice system. And so what we've been discussing these last few days is how could we come together, diagnose what's happening within those systems that's resulting in this inequity, resulting in a lack of fairness, and how could we bring forward policy change recommendations, incorporate changes with our own businesses in a way that would make lasting change and deliver different results, which is really what we're trying to do. So, yeah, several of the members of, the B of BRT have been on the last few days talking about these areas and some of the leaders that have agreed to be part of this small group. They'll be forming working teams on each one of these systems and we'll begin work starting now and, and have our first meeting together next week to come up with some suggestions. Hey, Doug, I, I know it's very early days and that nothing has really been solidified yet. These teams haven't had a chance to, to really get down to, to business on any of this. But for the cynics out there who say, OK, we hear about talk like this all the time and then it dissipates, give, give us an example or two, a concrete example of a, a real difference that you think you can make in one of these areas if you all put your minds to it. Well, there are two committees that were already existing as it relates to education and workforce that Mary leads and then Arnie has responsibility for health care in the committee that he's been leading. Those two committees, for example, have not gone back and looked at this through the lens of equity and justice and thought about the impact of this system on people of color, for example, with that kind of focus. So in those two committee examples, that's the approach that we'll take. The other two areas, the financial system was kind of within our governance committee, and, and Jamie Dimon's going to take that on with Robert Smith, and come back and look at it in that same way. And then in the case of criminal justice, um, Randall's going to take that one on and come back with recommendations that might be related to how we hire people that were formerly incarcerated, nonviolent offenders, more effectively to help with reentry, or what change from a cultural point of view needs to happen within law enforcement agencies. So I think what you can expect is with each one of, within each one of these areas, kind of a click down that develops in time so that we can describe to you which specific components we want to drive change through. Take education in Mary's work, for example. We've been focused on K-12, higher education, workforce development. Those three areas would continue, but how could we look at those three components of education and make sure that there's more equity in the system, that we're generating more fairness through changes that are made within our companies? And again, BRT's more than 200 of the largest companies in America but also partnering with government and other entities to drive more systemic change. You are also meeting with more than 10,000 associates from Walmart today. What, what are you going to be talking to them about? What, what changes are you making at your company? Yeah, um, I think you've been hearing all week, and it's true with us too, our associates are hurting. Our black associates, African-American associates, all of our associates um, are experiencing this pain that we've all, all been dealing with and coping with and at times it's hard to even put it into words and so we've been doing a lot of listening and today we're going to talk about what we're doing inside the company as it relates to recruiting and hiring and development and things like that we're also going to be announcing over a five-year period a hundred million dollars that we're going to invest towards racial equity and justice within walmart as a way to to put some money behind the efforts here through a walmart lens BRT is separate. And we'll be um, sharing those things with them, acknowledging the event that's happened, but, but more than just that, acknowledging that there's more we can do. And to me, this all boils down to we've been wanting to do good work and we've been making progress. 
but we now have this moment here where everyone's attention is on these issues, and we'd like to surge within Walmart and more broadly in a way that results in lasting change. What will you be spending that money on, $100 million over five years, to, to, to do what specifically? Yeah, it'll, it'll correspond to the four systems I mentioned earlier. Um, we're going to be making grants at community level that um, increase access to capital, help people have access to education. We've, we've done a lot, for example, in recent times with school lunch programs. We need to do everything we can do to help make the educational system in every community around the country more successful and more effective. And so money will be going into basically the same four systems that I described earlier. Hey, Doug, what is your, I would say week, but what is your month? What is your quarter? What, is, you know, what have the last several months been like when, when you've been dealing with this pandemic that you've had to pivot so quickly to try and figure out how your stores can, can stay open, you keep your employees safe, your, your customers safe, and then to be dealing with this additional element on top of it? What's it been like? Well, it's been challenging, and I know my peers feel the same way, but um, I've got a great team. Uh, the Walmart associates collectively and the leadership team that I work with are outstanding, and they're basically solving problems. That's what it's been like. You know, you get up every morning, and you're faced frequently with a new set of challenges to take on, and we just work together to figure out real time, what are we going to change? How are we going to pivot? What do we need to do to keep our associates safe in the store? Have we done all those things? How do we serve customers better? Is there a way to help others? And with this um, latest series of protests and the looting that took place and all the things related to that, it's the same thing. We're working together to solve problems and trying to encourage each other. And I was talking to somebody yesterday and I think the attitude that we all need to have is it's a privilege to be in a place to make a difference. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to be living in this world right now without the opportunity to help other people. And we've been put in a position where we can. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Hey, Doug, uh, maybe tough question. Uh, your uh, senator, Tom Cotton, uh, has called for military action across the country. Uh, as you know, uh, protesters and uh, many African-Americans have condemned his comments. Um, do you support them? Well, I hope we're past this, Andrew. The last couple of nights have been pretty quiet. You know, we did experience some looting on a few nights this past week. And, you know, law enforcement's been doing their best to try and keep everybody safe. And we certainly support peaceful protests, but we don't think that people need to express themselves um, with, with looting, obviously. But I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we're past that period of time. And, and that's not the way that, that I would like to see things approached. Let's talk more uh, about the business roundtable. And again, if you could kind of dig into some of these issues. And I, I realize that the healthcare uh, group was already kind of set up and running. I realize that um, some of these other ways have already been there. But what, what do you think is the most important way to go about addressing this? Or what's the consensus you get from your peers at the business roundtable, other CEOs, where you all say, okay, here, here is how we put our, our back into this. Here is how we do this. Are you going to be employing lobbyists or using your lobbyists to, to try and make this happen in Washington, too? Yeah, we'll, all, we'll work together, the, the CEOs as well as the teams um, that represent each one of the companies to try and, and bring it all together. And I, the first thing that goes through my mind is we need to listen. We need to listen to a diverse group of people. We need to make sure that we're hearing them and that we're finding creative ways to drive change. You know, a lot of the things that we've tried in the past haven't been as successful as what we ultimately need them to be. So I think there should be a period of time 
where we're gathering information, listening, looking for those leverage points that if the policy were shaped in this way, it would have a different outcome. This This is one complex system. You could think of it like a mathematical algorithm, and we've got to tweak the variables so the outputs are different. And so each one of these leaders, I think, will be thinking about it that way. You know, obviously, Jamie knows a lot about the financial system. Mary's doing a terrific job assuming responsibility from Jenny for um, education and workforce development. These people care deeply about these things. And I think as they and their teams and the the small group that we set up on each one of these areas will be listening, um, looking for new solutions, trying to find what works, leveraging all the information we can come up with, and then we'll turn it into... A plan, and we'll do the best we can of sharing that plan and creating a plan that's simple enough to execute. Um, one of the things I've definitely learned um, working at Walmart is if you want to execute at scale, it has to be simple. And if you want to change a complex system, it has to be simple. So we've got to go through this period of time where we absorb information, deal with complexity, because these systems are complex or we would have already changed them. Um, and then once we yeah. have that diagnosis, communicate it in a simple way and get on with the work. Part of the learning experience is is trying things that ultimately don't work. You just mentioned that there have been things that you guys have tried in the past that maybe weren't as successful as you thought. Could you share one of those lessons? Well, I'm just thinking generally, you know, charitable giving is important and we should do it. It demonstrates our heart and many programs at community level do work, but that's not enough. And this this conversation's got to be longer term and more lasting. And I'm not saying that we should wait years for change, but what I'm saying is, When we have events like this, sometimes there's a surge of energy and passion and emotion, and people will give money, which which again is good, but then we get distracted and we move on to something else, and the lasting change doesn't happen because we didn't do the work to get through complexity. So what I want to be different this time is for all of us um, to take the time, think deeply through these issues, and make changes. And I think it'll take more than just business. It'll certainly take more than big business. We're going to need partnership from government at all levels. We need all business to, to change, and we hope that our voice can, can help influence that. Doug, I want to thank you for being with us on this morning. Uh, we look forward to seeing the progress you all are making and hope you'll come back to give us updates along the way, too. Thank you all. Next on Squawk Pod, the chief investment and impact officer at a star-studded donor collaborative offers steps forward in the fight for racial equality. He says acknowledging history, calling for justice, and even setting up corporate foundations are simply not enough. The problems that we're trying to solve with poverty, with inequity, need solutions that meet the scale of those problems. We'll be right back. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. In the aftermath of the death of George Floyd, civil unrest has escalated from the streets around the world to corporate offices and executive boardrooms. Most business leaders and investors, as we've highlighted on Squawk Pod all week, issued statements of support for justice and racial equality. But where will they go from here? 
In a CNBC.com op-ed entitled, And Justice for All, Unshackling the Potential for Every American, our next guest, Jim Shelton, says C-suites have a lot more power to leverage and work to do than their press releases. Jim is the chief investment and impact officer for a donor collaborative called Blue Meridian Partners. Blue Meridian is a nonprofit group whose donors include Bill Gates, Mackenzie Bezos, Google co-founder Sergey Brin, and former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer. The donations support companies expanding access to prenatal and primary care, after-school programs, and post-prison employment, all of which are data-driven to disrupt American systemic inequality. Here's Becky Quick with Jim Shelton on solutions from the C-suites to the streets. Jim, thanks for being here today. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. You say that, that talk is cheap. We, we have heard a lot of talk, but we've also heard some CEOs and some corporate executives who are really putting their money behind, uh, putting their money where their mouth is this week, too, in terms of trying to affect change. What, what, what do you think needs to happen, and, and what are the ways that, that, that this change sticks around for longer uh, than, than just when the, the public's attention is captured right now? I think the conversation you were having before the break is apropos to this moment. All of us remember the Stockdale paradox, that we have to have faith that we're going to prevail in the end, but we have to be willing to face the brutal facts of where we are today. And what I would say is I appreciate the efforts that have been made this week to confront the crisis that we have. But the reality is that the crisis that we are seeing today is just the tip of the iceberg. Yes, someone's brutally murdered, and we have to do something immediately to ensure justice is rendered. Yes, we have actually had a crisis of racism in this country that has translated into systemic bias. We have to go after it hard. But the reality is that the systems that we've had, the economy that we've had, has been underperforming, allowing us to go from over 90 percent of Americans able to achieve the American dream in the 1940s to it being a 50-50 chance today. That's not for African-Americans. That's for all Americans. So when we come back, we have to build back an economy that not is not what we had, but it's something better. We have to invest in systems that actually close inequity gaps, not in dribs and drabs on the backs of philanthropy and corporate social responsibility, but using the entirety of our platforms, the entirety of a corporate platform for any corporate executive. It shouldn't be rendered to your diversity officer and your foundation head to try and figure out how you're going to use your organization to make good in the world. And it shouldn't be left to philanthropy, which is great, I mean, I dedicate my life to trying to help people invest their dollars to have the most impact in the world. But the scale of the problems that we're trying to solve with poverty, with inequity, need solutions that meet the scale of those problems. Jim, what, what is the American dream when you're measuring it and saying that only 50 percent of people have a chance of, of reaching it? What is that? The simple measure of American dream is, are you able to actually do better than your parents did? Are you able to earn more and provide a better life for your children than your parents were? In the 1940s, 90% of Americans assumed that that was going to be the case. Uh, and by the late 1980s, it dropped to almost 50-50. Um, the data's not quite there yet, but uh, there's no reason to believe that trend has, has, has reversed itself. And so as we rebuild the economy, we have to recognize that people's lives are made or broken, not by one event, but by before they are born until they, the milestones that they hit, all the way until they're actually a thriving adult. We need to, there are great news is that there are solutions in the world. We know how to provide great prenatal care and others. We know how to provide great uh, preschool to kids. We know how to solve the problems for our most dis disadvantaged and get foster kids into permanent homes and to get people who need to be trained into jobs. 
we know how to do these things, but we fail to actually scale the things that work. We fail to reorganize our systems to recognize that if we don't change our hiring practices so that we start looking for competencies instead of degrees, that it's hard for people who haven't had formal education but might have the skills to actually get in. These are the kinds of things that our systems can do to actually change. Let me just add this one point on specific that. If there was, if I, if I as a corporation a leader, if I was a CEO and I knew that I had a part of my system that if I actually did eight small things, I could improve its performance, reduce the waste by 72%, I would do it overnight. There are evidence-based practices, the Eight Can't Wait campaign that says you can reduce uh, police brutality, you can reduce incidents of excessive force by 72% just by doing eight simple things. And yet we don't see that happening across the country. And when I ask CEOs, if you are serious about this, how many of your government relations people, how many of your lobbyists are focused on these kinds of issues, on providing justice and providing opportunity? And the answer is always, here's what we do in our foundation. Well, it's time for something different. Okay, Jim, thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, if it feels like the end of the world, why is the stock market up? People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Thousands of people in the U.S. and abroad have spent many days, now more than a week, protesting, mostly peacefully, racism, police brutality, and inequality. But the stock markets appear resilient, having some of the best days since February before coronavirus became a pandemic that altered our lives and our economy. And the monthly jobs report out Friday morning showed really unexpected optimism, an increase of two and a half million jobs last month significantly better than the loss of 8 million that economists and experts were predicting. The U.S. unemployment rate is now 13.3%. At the end of the longest week since last week, I turned to a Squawk regular, Allianz chief economic advisor, Mohamed Alarian. So the best way of thinking of what's happening in the stock market is think of a win-win hypothesis and think of you getting affirmation every day that both elements are in play. So the first win that the market has embraced is that of a healthy and full recovery. And that would mean earnings would come back quickly and the economy would come back quickly. And therefore asset prices, particularly of companies that have been lagging, would do well. And the confirmation points for those include evidence that the infection rate and hospitalization haven't spiked 
during the reopenings, evidence that people are engaging in the economy more, and the most recent employment report. The second win is simply that even if you're wrong, it doesn't matter because central banks will be your best friends again. And this week we got confirmation of that with the European Central Bank doubling, doubling its support for markets. There's 100,000 plus Americans who have died of the coronavirus. We've seen protests in all 50 states, curfews in major cities for the first time in many decades, and an unemployment level that we haven't seen in generations, which is bad, but it's not as awful as everyone thought that it might be. I've been told the markets have no conscience, but certainly they have no anxiety about all of this other bad news. Tell me about that disconnect. So that disconnect reflects two things. Um, One is the view that the market looks through the short term. Every student of economic and finance learns early on that financial markets move faster than the real economy. So the marketplace will say, all that is important, but not for me, because I care about what's going to happen next year, and I'm discounting what's happening next year, not this year. That is the first explanation. The second one is that market participants as individuals have a social conscience. But when someone hires you to manage their money, they want you to manage their money in a way that is responsible for returns, for financial returns. So a lot of managers will say, look, I do have a social conscience but I keep it at home. At work, my fiduciary responsibility is to maximize returns. And that's, those are the two interpretations you'll hear over and over from the marketplace. We hear so much about young investors and a rising generation uh, in the business world who say when they're asked in, in surveys and asked by their employers that they care about things like social conscious, they care about what the companies they work for are doing more broadly in the world. Is that about youth? Is that about the current moment? Do you think that that is something that we might see changing things going forward? So I think we will see changing things in the corporate sector. There is tremendous pressure from stakeholders for companies to be more socially responsible, and rightly so. You cannot be a good house in a challenged neighborhood. You have to care about the neighborhood. And companies are understanding that sustainability and community is part of good business. So I think things will change, um, but it takes time. The most important drivers of this change are your internal stakeholders, employees. And the young employees in in particular care about these issues and CEOs are listening increasingly to them. This for me is a generation-defining moment. Things have come together in a perfect storm. We are being hit by an economic shock that we have never seen before. We have political divisions that we have never seen before. And we have further evidence of long-standing racial problems that are eating away at society day in and day out. So there's overwhelming evidence of the importance of this moment and how we react to it individually and collectively is going to define not just this generation, but future generations. So with the hope It's what's called the Sputnik moment. And that refers back to the late 50s when America woke up to the Soviet Union, as it was called then, the evil empire, as President Reagan called it later, 
sending up successfully a satellite into space. And suddenly our national security was threatened in a way that was never threatened before. And we as a society rose to the occasion. And the hope is that this will constitute a Sputnik moment, that with this perfect storm, we will use it as a catalyst for better things. Mohammed al thank you so much. Thank you. That's the show for today. Thank you for working through this tough week with us here on Squawk Pod. On our Monday rundown, a passionate and colorful interview from the chairman of Interactive Corps and of Expedia, Barry Diller, where corporate focus should and should not be. And anybody who runs their company for a quarter is a bird brain. Nevertheless, everybody who's involved in guidance, everybody pays attention to it, puts time in on it. But there are investors and analysts and others out there who say that guidance keeps companies accountable. What do you say oh, to please. them? That's absurd. I mean, it keeps companies accountable. It keeps companies doing dumbass work. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. And to all of our Squawk fans, listeners, and extended family celebrating graduations, Zoom weddings, and birthdays this weekend, we celebrate with you. We also remember Brianna Taylor, whose 27th birthday would have been today. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.